Welcome back to the Inclusive and Online Podcast. My name is Dan. I'm Kate, and we're your hosts for the Inclusive and Online Podcast. Sadly, Kayla is under the weather and won't be joining us today. We wish her well, and we'll welcome her back next month. On this month's episode, we're exploring accessible video content. What do we mean when we say accessible video content? It can seem very overwhelming, even for those who we may perceive as being the most tech-savvy among us. Contrary to popular belief, starting to make video content more accessible isn't as hard as one might think when you keep in mind some key considerations when first making your video content. There are plenty of tech tools out there that can take on some of the heavy lifting when it comes to making your video content accessible. Last season, the podcast covered accessible audio content with guest Christina Moore. This episode will build on some of those concepts as we discuss making both the video and audio components of course videos more accessible. To help us with this discussion, we have one of our instructional designers, Danielle Nicholson, joining us today. Hello. Thank you for being here today, Danielle. To start us off, if you were meeting with someone who was brand new to creating video content, what are some easy ways for them to get started exploring? Yeah. So thank you for having me. Uh, I have three ideas for people who are beginners to making video content um, for how they can get started. So first, if you're an OU faculty member, I would say start by trying the Poodle buttons in the Moodle text editor. Um, these are basically really quick and easy tools for recording video or audio um, just directly within Moodle. And just using that to try doing a video reply in a forum or using video feedback to give to your students. This is very simple, very easy to try. It's very non-intimidating. Um, and I would say that's a really great place to start. It's not the most accessible, but if you've never recorded yourself before, it's a good way to kind of break that ice. Um, another way that you can kind of get started exploring making video content is to use something like Zoom, which is a tool that a lot of us are already familiar with, um, to just do something simple like walking through your syllabus. So recording a quick, simple video of you sharing your screen and saying, this is the syllabus for this course, here's all the major sections, and contact me if you have any other questions. Um, this is something that you can easily send to others or just download the video file for later use. And it's not, you know, something as intimidating as a whole lecture video per se, but it's still going to be very helpful to your students. And then lastly, just if you want to get started making a slightly more complicated video is to play around with the tools that are in PowerPoint. Because in PowerPoint, you can add audio, video, even screen share to your slides bit by bit. So you don't even have to do it all at once. There's no extra software required, and you can easily export it to a video. So if you've never worked in any other kind of video editing tool, but you're familiar with PowerPoint, there is a lot of things that you can do there with that. So those are some of my tips for just getting started as a beginner. Yeah, I like that you start off with PowerPoint because that's a tool uh, a lot of people are familiar with and have some, some level of comfort with. So I think that's a good uh, stepping stone into creating video content. But a lot of people, it can seem very intimidating or scary to create a video and then to add accessibility into it. So I, I appreciate the advice of just, hey, let's get comfortable making a video first, and then we can see what we can do to uh, you know, make it accessible. So you know, to that point, what are some examples of effective uses of video content that you've seen faculty use in their courses? So beyond your typical course videos and lecture videos, the kind of things that we think of, there are four things that I have seen in courses that are really good uses of videos. And that's welcome videos, weekly overview videos, 
assignment overviews, and feedback. So, and I'll go into kind of what each of those things are. Um, my favorite thing is a welcome video. This is one of my favorite items to do for teacher presence in a course. And essentially, it's just something that you put at the top of your course, whether that's right on the course page or, you know, in a Moodle page. And this is just introducing the course and yourself as the instructor, whether that's recording your own video or just recording yourself talking over slides. And essentially, this is just to give students a sense of your personality, who you are as an instructor, and why they should care about the course. So it's helping them to connect to your learning objectives and not just you know, the first thing they see in the course is your syllabus, which can be a very overwhelming document for students. So if you have a nice, short, succinct welcome video to welcome them to the course, it just sets the tone of your course really well. Um, another thing that I've seen in courses that's really great is a weekly overview video. And essentially, this is like a mini welcome video every week of your course. And it's just something that you put at the start of your week. And it's giving students the context for the week. So all the things that they have to do, of course, in terms of tasks, assignments, but it's also giving them just a little bit of extra guidance. Like here's where you can find things on your course page and just reminding them, you know, you can always contact me for help. Here's where you can find support resources. Just having that teacher presence and checking in with students on a week by week basis. So they remember who you are as a person and they're not just communicating with you via writing. Uh, the next thing that I've seen in courses that's really good is an assignment overview video. I know in my experience as a student, this has been extremely helpful for me. Oftentimes when we have assignment instructions, we might have a really long Word document explaining how to complete a really complicated assignment. And that can be a little confusing for students, a little intimidating. And so having a short video to walk students through those instructions and maybe show them some past examples of, you know, successful assignments. Um, how to submit your assignment, all of those things can help them get a, a sense of the big picture of an assignment without them getting overwhelmed and intimidated by all of the text instructions. And then lastly, one thing that is really good for using video for in your course is feedback. I know that we all want to give students our attention, but we have limited time, and sometimes you don't have the time or energy to write out a bunch of text-based feedback for students, but recording a quick one minute video or even shorter to give students that personalized attention on their, their forums or their assignments can be really nice. Um, and like I mentioned, there's a lot of tools to do this very easily directly within Moodle. And what's great about doing video feedback is that it's, it's easier for students to pick up on your tone and nuance. So we might not remember what it's like to be an undergraduate student, but professors can be a little intimidating. And if you see some feedback that's just written out as text, that might scare them a little bit or they might not. Um, they might not interpret it the right way. So if you can have your nice, friendly voice presenting your feedback to them, I think that's a great way to connect with your students and help them to really understand the meaning of what you're telling them. So those are some of the, the best ways I've seen videos used in courses. Yeah, I've used many of those or all of those approaches in my courses as well. And I can tell you, from my experience, the students really appreciate that. You know, they notice it. They really like the video overviews of assignments. Uh, I have found that it has helped cut down on questions about clarity of the instructions or the assignment, what I'm expecting. Uh, you know, I, I don't often, I'm not cognizant of my tone in these things, but it's definitely a more friendly and an open approach that I would have, you know, in the physical classroom space as well. So I completely agree with you. It's really important for them to, to see that human aspect, that human side of you. And with the feedback, how powerful that can be just to take a minute to give your verbal feedback, because there are times where I'll 
agonize over the words I'm going to type out or you know, backspace and delete and go over that. Actually using video feedback has proven to be a time saver for grading. And it's another one of those things that students have come to appreciate. And one thing I can add briefly to that for the video feedback is that not only can you, you know, record yourself and your, your face and your voice, you can screen share. So you can go through someone's actual assignment and say, I'm going to highlight this thing that you did and comment on it. And that can be a lot easier than saying, remember in paragraph X, you know, in this particular phrase, and then having to retype the whole phrase and say, this is what I'm commenting on. You can just have it directly on screen for students. All right, moving on to our next question. Can you tell us about some of your favorite tools for making video content in courses? Yeah, absolutely. So I've mentioned a couple tools already, but in terms of some of my favorites, I really like Yuja for making videos, um, especially if you're an Oakland University faculty member, you have access to this. Yuja is really good for making quick videos like form replies and feedback, but you can also make longer videos with it. And you have really easy access to it directly within Moodle. It's right in our text editor. It's so easy to record videos, upload videos, all of that. Um, it's very similar to Poodle, which is the one I initially recommended, um, but it has significantly more functionality and it automatically captions your videos typically. So it is much more accessible than Poodle. Um, I also recommend Zoom for beginners as well. I, I personally like using Zoom for recording live events like class sessions or collaborative presentations. It's also great for working with guest speakers. So if you want to record an interview with a guest speaker for your course, doing that over Zoom is very quick and simple. Um, so I find that to be a really good tool to use, even though it's not primarily a video creation tool. Um, if you're looking for things that are a little bit more advanced, I do like to use Camtasia for um, slightly more complex videos for long-term use. There's a lot of recording and editing capability within Camtasia that can be good if you want to add nice annotations or just additional visual stylings to it. It's certainly not necessary for everyone, but if you want to learn more about Camtasia, that's one option. And then lastly, a tool that I really love, less for creating videos, but more for storing and sharing them, is YouTube. Um, YouTube is very compatible with a lot of tools like H5P and just various websites. And essentially, it's a good place to post your videos and share them publicly or unlisted with people. And it's especially good if you're interested in OER. So if you want to make a video, you put a lot of work into, let's say, just a simple course video explaining a topic and you want to share that with your larger academic community, YouTube is a really great place to post it. And then people across institutions can use your videos. Yeah, I like the, I, I want to go back to what you were saying about um, using Poodle and um, using Yuja, because it's an important distinction to make between those two tools, because you can access both of them from Moodle's um, text editor that's built right into Moodle. Um, but I, I appreciate what you said about how Yuja is is maybe a little bit more advanced than something like Poodle, but it adds in all of these great features that instructors can use. The captioning, which is I think we'll get into in a little bit more detail later on in the episode as we talk about accessibility. Um, but for just like that kind of slight bump up to learning this new tool, you get all of these great additional features. Whereas with Poodle, we typically recommend, you know, use this for shorter videos. And if you need to add captions, which we would typically recommend, you know, it, it, 
it's another step to create those captions and incorporating another tool. So I think that that's a really important point, especially for beginners for just a slightly different tool, you can get all of these really great features. As we move on into our next set of questions, like I said, we're going to focus a little bit more on this accessibility component. Um, so we've talked a lot about accessibility on the podcast and why it's valuable for students. What are some of the reasons why you think including accessible video content can be beneficial for learning? So I'm sure we've all heard the phrase about accessibility where it's necessary for some, beneficial for all. And I absolutely believe in that and do my work by that. Um, videos themselves can have a lot of benefits and they're, you know, it's a very compelling medium and we're using them more and more these days. But we need to make sure that we're not creating barriers for anyone as we explore this different, this medium. Everyone has different needs and preferences and, you know, not everybody expressly says that they have a disability and that they need a very specific accommodation. Um, and it's still important to think about, you know, how can, how can we be accommodating to people? Needs might be permanent, temporary, or situational. You know, I've, you might have heard from this framework before. For example, captions are helpful for people who are deaf or hard of hearing, which is permanent, people who have an ear infection, temporary, or people who are in a loud environment, situational. And so when we think about accessibility, it's about reducing barriers for everybody, and especially where it's easy for us to do so. There's so many great tech tools out there that anything that we can do to accommodate preferences, even when they're not needs, helps your students focus more on their learning and learn in a way that works for them. And I think that really is important when it comes to trying to be inclusive. Do you think it's kind of the same when we think about developing content for face-to-face -face courses versus like exclusively online courses? I think it, it varies a little, but in terms of making video content, even in a face-to-face -face course, you're still going to be doing a lot of the same things because you're going to be posting that video probably in your LMS, even if you're not, you know, even if you're playing it live in your classroom. The difference I would say is that in a face-to-face -face course, you can very quickly respond to your students and it might be easier to pick up on needs and preferences in the moment. Whereas in an online course, you don't know what students need if they don't tell you. You might be slower to respond. They might not necessarily be as proactive about letting you know that they need something. And it's just, it's so important for you to be proactive so that students don't have to ask you about things. So a lot of the same principles that you can apply to an online course when making accessible video content will be beneficial in your face-to-face -face course. It's just that you might need to be a little more proactive in an online course because you don't have that immediate contact with your students if you're teaching an asynchronous course. Moving on to getting a little bit more student perspective, Kayla had a question that I'd like to ask on her behalf. In my courses, I've noticed that I benefit from videos with captions and the option to adjust playback speed. I have found that captions make it much easier to comprehend the material and playback speed is helpful to tailor the video to my learning needs. And what are some preferences that you've noticed from students for video content or even as a student yourself? I've definitely noticed that captions and playback speed are something that students want. I know as a student, I absolutely want captions and an adjustable playback speed. Captions help me for internalizing the material, especially if it's important vocabulary that I've never encountered before. I know as a student, I don't 
internalize a new person or a new theory until I've seen the words in front of my face. And if you're just talking and you're not necessarily using slides, I'm never going to see that word, you know, in your particular course video. So captions are really helpful for that. Um, and they're, they're just helpful in a variety of ways. And then in terms of adjustable playback speed, everyone speaks at different paces. Everyone hears things at different, uh, you know, has different processing speeds. And even if you watch something at its normal speed the first time around, if you want to do a quick review of it later down the line, let's say you're just getting ready for finals, you might want to watch that at double speed. And that is a really handy feature for students. Or in contrast, if a if an instructor tends to breeze through their material pretty quickly, or me, I, you know, for example, I tend to speak a little quickly, it's nice to be able to slow things down um, if you didn't catch it the first time. And so I think playback speed is absolutely something that students like to be able to toggle based on their preferences. And then two other features that I think a lot of students like are chapters and just generally having shorter videos. So when I say chapters, I mean essentially sharing timestamps, whether that's in the description or using the features of your tool to make them clickable, that indicate where you change topics. So for example, having your introduction and then part one, we talk about this topic, part two, we talk about this topic, and really breaking it up so that, again, students can quickly review and jump to the topic that they're looking for. But it also just helps students get a, an understanding of the structure of something. So before I watch a video, I like to look at what the timestamps are to get a sense of, all right, this is all the topics we're going to cover. This is how long we're going to spend on it. And it helps me to really make sure I understand the big picture before I start trying to process it live in the moment. So chapters are really helpful for students. Um, and then just shorter videos. It's not a preference for everyone, but plenty of people like it. This is segmenting your lessons into shorter focused chunks. This can be easier for students to focus on if a video is, you know, five to 15 minutes instead of a whole hour. Um, and it's, it's really good for being able to track your completion progress and just feel accomplished faster. So if I'm a student and I have to watch an hour long video or, you know, a couple of shorter videos, I'm going to feel a lot more accomplished if I can say, all right, I've watched two out of these four videos that I need to watch instead of, oh man, I've barely made it through this one video. So especially for students who maybe might be short on time, you know, if we're trying to be mobile mindful or students who are neurodivergent and are struggling with motivation, for example, anything to help students feel like, yes, I'm making progress and I'm able to kind of fit this into my hectic schedule, I think is helpful. And that's where shorter videos um, can, can be really great. Yeah, I love the idea of chapters in shorter videos and it makes total sense. if. The textbooks that you know we asked students to buy were just one long book and it wasn't broken up into chapters subchapters. i think that faculty and students would agree that's not an effective way to approach learning and a lot of those same I guess, principles apply to uh, video creation and just things to be mindful of i know in my experience having the playback speed has been very helpful and having the captions be uh, just as helpful too and that i'll have you know, one and a half time for the video, I'll have the captions going and I can still track that and get through things much faster. But I also thought of, you know, what about the student who is uh, English as a second language? And that we've, you know, your point of everybody's got their own vocal rhythm and some people speak, you know, faster than others. How helpful that would be to say, let's slow it down so I can, you know, hear that or understand that better as opposed to me I just want to rip through things and, and get through this because I'm you know I've got this concept of 
you know, compressed time that I'm trying to meet deadlines, but just to think about dialing it back for those students who may not be as comfortable with the language as others. And that's something too that um, you hear from students who are taking face-to-face -face courses, like my instructor talks so quickly and it can be hard to follow. But if you have a face-to-face -face course and you're capturing that face-to-face -face lecture with a tool that can then, the student that can then watch back at a slower speed that allows them to process the material better, that can be a huge benefit for students who might've otherwise missed parts of that lecture as they were only available in that kind of face-to-face -face setting. So in, in your opinion, Danielle, what should instructors include with their video content to improve the accessibility of it? We've touched on a lot of um, these different items already, but I'll kind of speak in a overview sense. There are a few things that I think are really necessary and a couple of things that are a little more nice to have. So in terms of necessary, absolutely closed captions are important to have on your videos. It's very frustrating to go to multiple websites or courses and just see videos that don't have any closed captions whatsoever. Um, it really is such an easy thing to fix and it's such a significant barrier if you don't have it. And so, and if you aren't familiar with closed captions, it's essentially just text that is underneath your video that is saying what the audio is saying, whether that's the exact words that are being said or just also indicating the sounds that are playing. That's that's kind of a general description. Um, and doing this as a caption file and not as part of your video file. Some people try to put the text directly on their video file um, instead of as a, a separate file. And that's not always helpful um, because when you use an actual caption file, students can adjust the captions based on their preferences. They can make them larger in size, they can change the color to make it easier for them to read. Um, sometimes they can even be translated if needed. And so having a separate caption file is really great. And there's so many tools for doing this that we can talk about later, um, but it's, it's so necessary and it's such an easy thing to do. Ideally, you would have transcripts for your videos if you can. It's not always something that people are able to do immediately if they're trying to you know, retrofit a course really quickly. But essentially, a transcript is similar to captions, but it is a separate file that includes all of your audio broken up by the speaker, and it also includes bracketed descriptions of any major visuals. So it's someone could read your transcript and not even watch your video, and they should be able to get all of the information. And this is so important for students who are using Braille readers or students who prefer to read over watching videos, maybe students who have poor internet connections, who there's no way they're going to get an hour-long lecture video to load. Um, and so if you can have a transcript for your videos, working towards that is really great. And then lastly, just for in terms of necessary things, um, visual descriptions. So like stating what any important visuals are in your video. So instead of saying, click this button, um, if a student can't see what's in your video, they're not going to know what that button is. So saying something like click the settings button, or instead of saying, these are our results, say our results are X, Y, Z. So verbalizing whatever it is that's on screen so that it's not only visual information um, is helpful. And just quick things that are nice to have, like we said, adjustable playback speed, but this is really easy to get with a lot of tools. Um, making your on-screen text, like if you're using slides of any kind, really minimal, so it's less overwhelming to students, not having a lot of text on screen using a large font size so it's easy to read for that text, that's really good to have. Um, like I mentioned, the chapters or timestamps, if you can do it, super helpful to students. Um, and then just, yeah, again, chunking your videos into shorter pieces or using those chapters to kind of break it down for students, all of those things are really helpful. There's lots of other ways that you can continue to work on accessibility, but those are some of the big ones.
Do you have maybe one key takeaway for instructors on how they can get started with creating accessible video content? Yeah, I think my main takeaway is to test your material yourself. Just, just look over it, whether it's something new that you've created or something old that you've created, and just watch it with the sound off or listen to it without looking at your screen. You'll notice very quickly if you're missing out on any key information. It doesn't have to be a high-tech solution. You'll just realize, oh, I have a habit of saying, look here, or click here, or I have a habit of using sound to indicate things and not you know, including that in the captions. And so just testing your material is, is really beneficial. And as, as a quick tech tip to that, um, just recording or uploading your videos to something like Yuja or Panopto. It'll automatically caption them. You can do all kinds of editing to work on it very easily. So just even just using those two tools are going to boost your accessibility very quickly. I love that suggestion. Yeah, and luckily we have uh, integrations set up where recordings made with Zoom could be sent in directly into Panopto or into Yuja. Uh, as well, uh, just kind of a, an opportunity to plug what the instruction design team uh, does here. What kinds of services does OU's ID team provide relating to creating accessible video content? So there's a lot that our instructional design team can do for you based on your needs. Um, firstly, you can schedule an appointment with us or just email us to ask any questions or get suggestions. We're happy to even just start consulting with you if you have any you know, if you just as a beginner, you say, how, how can I best record my video? What tool might be useful for me? We're very good just for starting um, from a consulting perspective. But there's also a lot of things that we can physically do for you. So we can teach you how to use these tools. We can do some basic editing of your videos. So let's say you've got a really long video and you want to insert a clip of you describing a visual, like you're retroactively making a video accessible. Uh, we can do that video editing for you. We can insert that clip where you want it. There's some video management things that we can do, like uploading your videos to our ID Team YouTube channel if you want to have things stored there, but because you don't necessarily want to use YouTube yourself, but you want the benefits of it. Um, and that'll, you know, create a lot of things like auto, it'll auto caption it, it'll have adjustable playback speed, we can set up chapters with you. So all of those cool features we can help you get started on. Um, and then you can also uh, actually we, we do have some availability in terms of appointments for in-person recording assistance in our media lab. So if you are a little bit overwhelmed by video creation or you want to try out a more uh, comprehensive video editing program like Camtasia, you can make an appointment with us to use our media lab and access those resources there. We do have a video services document coming out that'll explain all of these options that I'm happy to share with you guys for your show notes. Yeah, we'd love to include that in the show notes for the listeners. What are some key accessibility considerations that faculty should take into account when preparing to create video content for their courses? So the first thing that I would really recommend for faculty is to start with a script or an outline. So for example, throughout this whole interview, I'm looking at an outline. I have bullet points for what I want to say. It's kept me on track. It's kept me from rambling for a really long period of time. Um, and it reduces the editing burden. So hopefully, you know, you get a nice succinct interview. Similarly for faculty, if you want to record a video for your students, having bullet points at minimum of what you want to say to keep you on track, make sure you don't forget anything means you don't have to go through doing a bunch of complicated editing to put things in later. So that's really helpful for creating 
the high quality focused videos that you want. So whether you start with a script, writing it all out, or starting with bullet points, just start start with some planning, essentially, is what I would say. Um, it's really helpful to have a fully fleshed out script, whether you want to type that out yourself or, you know, try dictating it in something like Word or using a tool like Otter AI to transcribe it. Um, that way you have kind of a word for word thing that you're looking to speak. But you also don't have to start with a script if you have sort of those bullet points, because we have so many tools where you can upload a completed video that you've said off the cuff um, and then just edit those captions for accuracy. So if you don't like using a script, you don't have to. It's just important to note that you will want to go back and edit your captions to make sure they're accurate, that they're not misleading your students who are relying upon them. Um, that's really important to just be aware of. And it's not hard to edit captions for accuracy, especially if you're using a tool like Uja or Panopto that really has high quality auto captions. YouTube, a little bit less so. If you were going to upload something to YouTube, I would say to build a proper caption file elsewhere first. Um, but that's really important. So when you're creating video content for your courses, start with a script or an outline so you know what you want to do. Um, that That's kind of my main thing, I suppose. There are other considerations, but that's the big one. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today, Danielle. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me. It was great to chat with you. And just to note for our Oakland faculty looking to use the instructional design services, you can always click the faculty tab on the top of any page in Moodle and find instructional design services to schedule an appointment and see all the resources and services that are available to you. We'd like to thank Danielle for joining us today. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We value your feedback and your ratings and reviews will help others discover our show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at InclusiveOnlinePod. If you'd like to get in touch with us with your ideas, feedback, or request to collaborate, you can send us an email at InclusiveOnlinePod at gmail.com. We'll be back next month with our next episode. Until then, we hope you feel included.